something outside. What is that?
the process is from point A to point B, what it takes to do that. And, um, Mono, I want to ask you, how did you get involved in, in doing analysis for Sasquatch investigators? And welcome okay, to the show. Okay, hi, Julie. Thank you. Thank you very much, Julie. Hi, uh, Gunner. Um, good to meet you. And <clears throat> let me just back up a little bit and introduce myself. So I go by the, uh, the cover name Monongahela. Um, obviously not my real name, but I keep my private life private. Uh, however, um, uh, I got into this form of audio analysis uh, about 10 years ago in 2008, and it builds upon um, an audio analysis career that began back in the mid-'80s when I was uh, active duty in the Air Force, and I was trained as a linguist then and spent a lot of time listening to foreign languages and interpreting recorded signals for the Air Force. Um, it's an old skill set that uh, I had put aside for a number of years and then dusted off when I started taking an interest in Bigfoot in the early 2000s and realized there's audio recordings out there that have never really been analyzed. And I, I saw that I had a unique skill set and could apply that skill set to that audio analysis and those recordings. And, um, well, 10 years later, I'm still doing it. So that tells you there's something there. Uh, otherwise, yeah. I would have been wasting my, ten, my, my time for the last decade. Right. And, and I have heard some of your analysis. Um, I know that you do <laughs> some, some really good analysis for Charlie Raymond, um, the Kentucky mm. Bigfoot Research Organization, who are very um, dedicated, hardworking investigators out there. Um, so w the first time that you analyzed uh, what, what could allegedly be a Sasquatch vocal or, or sound, how did that compare to what you normally do? I mean, what, what's, what's the differences? Had you done anything with animals before, or was it just human voice? Really great question, and and the short answer is it was prior to this, it was all human voices. However, the methodology that we use to study foreign languages and uh, in, in covert languages, the use of cover terms in covert languages, applies to um, the study of, you know, animal sounds, uh, if you want to uh, move into that field. And it's really, it comes down to what... Is, is called information analysis. And it's a matter of pouring through mountains of data, uh, looking for reoccurring patterns that are the, the, the hallmarks of a form of communication. And all communication is centered around a lexicon of signals that two communicators share in common. One can speak it, the other can interpret what they're hearing that basic lexicon has to exist in any form of communication if you're going to transmit information from a sender to a receiver. So when you move into the world of animals, you can take any species and they have a basic lexicon that they're using and um, other members of their species will understand uh, the elements of that le lexicon and what certain signals are communicating to them. So it's very portable. The, the the information analysis model is very portable from the study of human communications into the study of animal 
based communications. Okay. Well, that's that's interesting because you know a lot of people may wonder if there's like a different way to analyze human versus animal. So that that clarifies a lot for me. Um, now, do you when you first analyze something that someone gave to you and said, you know, I think this could be a Sasquatch. Was there anything that really blew your mind when you first started analyzing these things and, and how how it was different from anything else that we know as a known recordings, sounds, vocals, voice? Mm. Was there anything that jumped out at you that's strange and different? I, I would say immediately no, because uh, – for the first year, you know, when you when you start studying this kind of audio, you're, you're you're basically going to school, and you've got to spend a lot of time listening closely, parsing everything you hear in these recordings, and basically building a mental catalog or, or a recording catalog even of the different sounds you're hearing. And while you're studying those things that might be a Sasquatch. You also have to study the other things that it could be confused for, like foxes mm-hmm, and coyotes mm-hmm. and elks. So you're, for the first year or two, you're basically going to school, learning as much as you can about a variety of animal sounds here in North America so you can kind of rule things in or out. It wasn't until about the second year that I started to recognize, okay, these are reoccurring signals that don't appear in coyote or fox or, you know, owl vocals. And that's where I started to realize this unclassified set of signals are popping up again and again from places all across North America. And that common lexicon, as it began to form uh, in my mind, that's what really started to blow me away. Once I saw that there was a basic lexicon here, I knew this is real. It's not being faked. You can't have people in dozens of places over decades replicating and faking the same signals over and over again and doing it successfully. So that was the big epiphany for me that, Mm -hmm. oh, my God, there is something out here that has a common lexicon, exists all across North America, and we can record it from time to time. Right, and it didn't match any known. So what you're saying is it didn't match any known um, recordings. Exactly. Any known, but they all match known each other. They, okay. Exactly. So as you yeah, go that's through kind of, this uh, kind of... That light bulb must have went off for you because that, that, you know, that's very telling. Yeah, and, and, and that's really what it was. I went entered, entered into this with an open mind, and I wanted to prove to myself uh, whether, you know, is, is it possible that Sasquatch exists uh, or not? I, you know, prior to getting into this, to me, uh, it, I just kind of hoped that or, or thought that, wow, wouldn't it be great if they existed? But I sort of doubted that they did. And But then as I went through the data, I just let the data prove itself to me. And um, through the analysis, uh, I I found that, yes, there is something here. And anybody with a similar set of skills as to what I have 
would be able to replicate this, the, the study and the analysis that I did and probably come to the same conclusion. Okay, and when when you were doing these um, analyses, David has said before, it's not just hearing the audio, it's seeing the audio, and and you Mm. go by that same type of analysis, right? You're looking at the effect of these sounds, and um, they they sometimes appear differently than norm too is that correct or yes that's correct and and so what this does is this takes us into the topic of tools that you use to to analyze and study audio and um the most important tool that we use is something called a spectrogram it's a a graphic representation of a sound recording and what that does is it, it takes sound. It, it actually helps you visualize what is in the recording. And when you can use both your eyes and your ears simultaneously to study a recording, you get so much more information out of it. And there are so many more things that you can measure within that recording. And it's that measurability, that visibility, that makes the data much richer and allows you to identify things that um, become part of the lexicon because they reoccur over and over and over again. And it's really important to helping you differentiate an unknown vocalizer from something like a barred owl or a red fox or an eastern coyote, what have you. Correct. I I, I would imagine so. And... David, I had a question for you. David, welcome to the show. Yeah, yeah. thank you, Julie. Hey, yeah, we appreciate you coming back on. I know I've had you on the show frequently um, in the last yes. several months. <laughs> and it's because I think it's so important what you do um, for investigators. You. And, again, you guys do this for free. You're not charging people. You know, your heart's in this, what you're doing. Mm-hmm. David, I want to ask you, how difficult it. was it for you to learn how to do the anal to analyze, and was it mono that got you into the that, this type of oh, analyzing? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, our history goes back to uh, early 2010, and just actually just a little bit prior to that, um, I had been uh, watching some of his comments on a forum, and I. Uh, messaged him personally and said, I've got this audio that I just can't get a handle on. Um, I recorded it here in the Puget Sound area, and it's um, got kind of a a warble to it that makes me think it might be turkey. And I thought, maybe you could take a look at it, Mono, and see what you come up with and see what you think. And then that just kind of started the whole lot of conversation going and I think it was mm-hmm. was within the first week he asked me if I was analyzing my sound visually. And I thought, that was a crazy question. What do you mean visually? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I analyze my sound by hearing, thank you. <laughs> and then and he said, no, 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 um, there's a methodology here that I think could really, really help you. And so he tutored me and how to look at audio through a spectrographic analysis, um, got me some uh, freeware and 
uh, I, I've just been, you know, going ever since. Um, I've been using that for about eight years now, the spectrographic mm. analysis. So, yeah, it's um, kind of self-taught, but uh, I, I have to say heavily mentored by Mono for sure. I kind of feel like I'm, I'm to use a Star Wars analogy, it's like Yoda and Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> that we're talking to (laughs) because it's like, you know, it's like, these are the guys that kind of brought to my awareness, the, the idea that you could, you know, sounds any way other than just listening to them. And, and I've always that been of the opinion that audio is one of the most passive ways that we can collect information on this subject but it's also yes. the most ambiguous and open to misinterpretation if you don't do use this process. If you just sit there and mm, listen, listen to recordings, you can, you know, I if I go out and sit in the woods, I can hear all kinds of monsters and critters. Right. Um, but it's coming back, and and I I really have to appreciate the fact that when you talk about this, you're talking about having developed this skill over a lifetime. And but also over you know a ten year period that this is this is real like science when and it's it's taking one part of of Bigfoot research and and applying skills that from outside of of this uh, field and mm. and it it is so valuable to you know because people don't understand that that people are actually doing this. Uh, and applying this science to it, um, it and it, it's just fascinating to to uh, watch, watch and and I and I've been able to uh, apply this, and of course it's come down through through from Yoda and Obi Wan, um, but uh, <laughs> we it, it's a fascinating science, and and it really is applicable to to. Uh, when you're trying to find uh, an unknown, unclassified animal. Yeah. And and I would um, just throw a a little wider background on this uh, to help anyone in the audience um, understand that if they're interested in in learning more about this, what they should look into first is the, the science, the field of scientific study known as bioacoustics. Um, of course, many of us have heard of acoustics or acoustic studies. Bioacoustics is the focus of sound studies of biology, the biology that exists around the world. And some of the best-known, earliest research done in bioacoustics you've probably heard of, and that was the discovery that uh, elephants in Africa communicate to each other over many miles of distance using infrasound. Well, it was bioacoustic studies that actually made that discovery. And they've done similar research in dolphins and cetaceans, whales, uh, bats. All kinds of animal groups are being studied through bioacoustics. So it's only natural that we would try to use a similar methodology and tools to study things that are out there vocalizing in the forest and attempt to classify them as to either a known animal or an unknown species. Yeah, that's a very um, good I, I point. Would like to, I would like to address um, 
the infrasound issue just a little bit because um, I want to make sure that the audience also knows that most equipment, whether it be your digital recorder or your microphone, if they are not capable of picking up infrasound, you are not recording it. So right. um, uh, most microphones and most recorders are set to the human uh, hearing paradigm and don't go below 20 hertz. Some of them even have a cutoff at around 40 hertz, which is well above infrasound levels. Exactly. So even if you, even if you see it in a spectrogram, um, my uh, concern is that people think it's really there. And um, I don't know this for sure, but I'm guessing because the, the instruments aren't really recording it, that it is just a algorithm that, uh, like, for instance, the Sonic Visualizer shows it all the way down, sound all the way down to zero. Well, that mm-hmm. zero may be actually the cut rate of the device, um, you know, either the microphone or the recorder. So it actually could be set at 20 hertz, which is a zero. So um, right. I know that some people have inferred that they're recording infrasound, which they're not. Right. And David, I would add on to that. Out of the thousands of clips I've studied over the years, I can only come up with one that I believe had captured an example of infrasound or evidence of infrasound in use. And even that was recorded with a standard recorder, but it was captured by a BFRO researcher named Ron Bowles. And Ron was researching in Tennessee He had just made a a howl into the forest at night, and from a very near distance, as he was walking away, his recorder, which was on him, captured a very deep rumble. And the rumble was so deep that I had to zoom in and look at the very lowest frequencies and just to hear the top part of that rumble. And what that told me is that a lot of the energy that Ron felt in his body was actually occurring below the recorder's ability to capture it. That is true, the infrasound range. So when infrasound happens, you're more likely to feel it if you're present than you are to record it. Yeah, and I, I I have heard that uh, recording. Ron has sent that to me before, and mm-hmm. that is very very fascinating. And he explained to me how that felt as well. You know, when that happened, he certainly felt something going on. So yeah, that's that was one of the most incredible things I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah, he uh, said it chance, made him feel physically ill afterwards. Yes. By, by chance, have uh, have you um, listened to that and put your hands on speakers? Oh, yes, yeah. So you can get a little bit of the sense of the feel? Mm-hmm, yep, a very deep rumble. Yeah, I, I should probably do that myself. Mm. Um. So... 
we could talk a little bit about uh, the the early start in this kind of research between Dave and I. Um, as I got started into this, you know, I spent most of 2008, 2009 doing my own research and collecting clips from around the Internet that I could find and just studying them, listening to them, looking for similarity and signals, things like that. Uh, and I got a small data set started from that, but not enough. And then when I met David and, and heard his first recordings, we started talking back and forth, and, and I realized, you know, David told me he had a lot more audio, and he began to share that freely with me. And it was really David's audio collection that gave me the first solid data set or, or raw material to go through. And what, David, we spent at least two years oh. pouring over <laughs> yes. your stuff. Yeah, oh a long gosh. time. And yeah. we made some incredible discoveries just... in there. Yeah, yeah. So, I just um, was reviewing some of that, uh, some of our emails, and it was like, um, re <laughs> like I hadn't seen them before. I, I was <laughs> relearning some of the things I've already forgotten. <laughs> yeah. So well, that's the yeah. neat, the neat thing about it is, as time goes by and we learn more about this, we can look back at old recordings and make new discoveries, old conversations, yes. and refute or confirm things. But one, one discovery that has held true over the years, and it was one of our earliest findings, was the horn vocal. And I'll let David yes. talk about that. Well, um, I think the first time that I heard it, it was an actual mimic scenario. Um, because I believe uh, I was in a, a study area with a study partner, and we were recording, and uh, uh, an air horn and I'm pretty sure it was a mechanical air horn went off. But five seconds later, something attempted to mimic that very sound. And it was very close, but it was, you know, close but no cigar. You could see visually in the sonic visualizer that these were two different things happening, one mechanical and one organic. So I, I, I sent it to Mono and I said, this is really, you're going to think I'm crazy, uh, but I think this, I just recorded this. This sounds like a mimic. Um, can you verify that it, it, that it's an organic sound? And I'll let you go ahead and respond what what you told me, that yeah, you could have knocked me over with a feather. Well, sir, and um, correct me if I get it wrong, but when you look, at that recording and the mechanical horn sound in a spectrogram, it becomes pretty evident the difference between mechanical and, and uh, a biologic vocal source. Mechanical is very um, straight line, linear, very tightly controlled. Even changes in pitch are very machine-like and almost digital. Uh, whereas an organically originated um, sound will won't have that straight line control uh it will have variety variations uh changes inflections uh a, a certain um for lack of a better term organic nature to it and while the pitches in these two the mechanical horn and this biological horn were very similar uh you could see that you know this this second vocalizer it 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 was not a machine. It was it was, you know, some 
vocalizer out there in the forest making that sound. And if I missed anything there, Dave, fill in the blanks. Yeah, what uh, what what really uh, blew me away was you said, um, you know, some other researchers are talking about this and have recorded horn vocals all over the country. And mm, that's yeah. that's what really really blew me away is that I thought I had a one-off scenario, and then Mono said, no, this isn't one-off. This is you know some some. Fo- people that are researching are recording this stuff in their area. So I thought this is one of those sounds that um, I w- was now on my radar. And mm-hmm. uh, if, if referencing uh, Donna's scenario, um, <laughs> uh, she got uh, a, a horn vocal off of her deck that was uh, less than mm-hmm. 30 feet away and was... Right. Um, <laughs> it was T Rexish. <laughs> <laughs> right. And and I re- I recall one of those other recordings because I hadn't heard many at that time, but um there was another recording I had been studying and it was captured I want to say in somewhere in the nineteen nineties. Uh it was after nineteen ninety four, which was the Ohio Howl. It may have been ninety eight or ninety nine. And it's called the New Howl. It's from um Mississippi. And it has, it's a very low series of howls, but it has an extremely brassy metallic tone to it. And so you can tell these are howls, but on occasion they would change into this brassy horn-like nature. And so it was that recording that clued me in to the possibility of this thing we're now calling horn vocals. And then hearing it, you know, a thousand plus miles away, from David's recordings, something similar was just one more piece of data to lend credibility to this idea that there are horn vocals out there. And since then, we've captured, God, dozens and dozens and dozens of these kinds of vocals. Yeah, uh, enough that it's become one of those things that I look for if I develop a study area. It's one of the sounds I'm hoping that I, I catch. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, and so so what we do over time, you know, going back to the analysis discussion, is is we're studying all of this stuff. And, and, and honestly, for me, for the first five years, I was spending three to four hours a night sitting on my sofa going over audio, being a bad husband, you know, while my uh, wife was raising our, <laughs> raising our kids. <laughs> and, <laughs> but um, I would – she could tell I was really into this and I was onto something. I was excited about this. Um, and so for those years, I was pouring through this um, in, in, in recognizing signals tentatively and building data behind each signal type to the point where I could confidently add it to what I call a lexicon for this unknown vocalizer. Now, we should go back to the point that you made uh, early in the show is that nobody has actually seen a Sasquatch vocalizing and gotten it on video. Um, So we can't definitively say that any of these vocals are a Sasquatch vocalizing. However, we have seen all of the other known vocalizers in North America and got most of them on video making their vocal. So we can rule 
with a great degree of certainty, those vocalizers, those known vocalizers out as being contributors to the lexicon of signals that David and I and others have been putting together over the last several years. The null hypothesis in action. Right. Exactly. And what's the common denominator here? You know, it always goes back to that because you're, if you're comparing to unknown sounds and you're getting the mm-hmm. same unknown sounds from all across yep. different parts of the country, but they all match, you know, like I said before, that that does carry a lot of weight for me personally because it's not just, well, you know, this seems a little different. You've actually got something else very similar to it sent by somebody totally different on the other side of the country. Mm. Right. And that's just fascinating. And, and when you really dig into it, I, I need to document this at some point, and I'll probably do a video explaining the details of the lexicon um, and, and put it up on my YouTube channel. But over the years, we've probably put 15 to 20 solid signals or characteristics of signals into the lexicon. And, and, and I use a rule of thumb when I'm studying audio that I can't consider a clip or a a vocalization a high probability of being from this unknown vocalizer population unless I can find three of the signals that are in the lexicon within that single recording. Um, Now, quite often, when, when I can find those three, what are going to happen, be the most frequent, are or we're going to find some kind of a whoop in there. Uh, we'll find uh, wood knocks used in a, in a certain way, and I won't give away too much intel on that because we've got to keep something secret. Otherwise, the, the hoaxers start hoaxing with it. Right, um, right. And then there are going to be clues in terms of the pitch or the frequency that's being used. Uh, that's a really strong indicator. When we see howls hitting a sweet spot, pitch that we see in, I want to say, 75 to 80% of the high probability house, that's another example of a good indicator for us. Now, there are many other, you know, signals that or, or elements that we could use to achieve that score of three, but those are the three most common things that we see over and over again. One of the okay. things that um, I, I, I found that was interesting that Mono picked up on right away was um, a uh, in, in my very first recording, we, we captured this uh, phenomenon where there would be a vocalization and a knock, like almost at the end of the vocalization, um, mm-hmm. you know, just a short, short howl and then a knock. Um, and that has... Uh, reappeared over and over again in numerous study areas that I work. Yeah, yeah. And and that was probably one of the things I wasn't going to give away, David, but it's okay. Oh. Uh, <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> Enough, oh, well. No, it's all right. Enough solid researchers know this, that, you know, I'm sure somebody's going to go out there and they're going to attempt to hoax uh, re- audio with it, you know, and believe me, we've come across some good hoaxed audio over the years, but sure. we can identify the hoaxes fairly easily. But what David's talking right, about, I know, is, yeah. after, especially after the years you guys have put in, 
what <laughs> what I did want to briefly discuss is um, I live near, <clears throat> excuse me, the Uari Forest in North Carolina um, on a farm, and mm-hmm. we've lived here a little over a year. And I was hearing some like unusual sounds mixed in with the the coyotes, the dogs, the farm animals around my house. Um, and then it, I, I was like, you know what? Just for kicks, I'm going to send this to David Ellis so he can tell me that it's just coyotes and everything's all good and there's nothing around my house and it's going to be perfectly fine. So I sent a recording to David Ellis and um, he sent back some audio clips to me that, you know, he on the spectrogram showed different um, hertz range than the known examples, if you will. Uh-huh. He sent it back to me, and I must admit, my mind was absolutely blown. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I've been doing some recordings since, and I've, I've sent him several hours worth of recordings. I just wanted to play three um, for our audience now, so they'll you know, get an, an example of what uh, a clip would sound like in case they haven't heard one before that, that David has analyzed. Normally it's looped five times. Is that correct, David? The, yeah, the, norm, the, the, normally the I do sound? that. Yeah, okay. I, I, I do that because um, people, uh, if you play it just once, they usually go, um, could you play that again? So <laughs> it takes a little while for the mind to register exactly what they're hearing, and then about the third time you got it. So I just use two more to throw in there to to overemphasize, so that you really got a good feel for the what you're hearing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Uh, and it, it's very helpful. I know when I'm listening back to the clips that you've sent me. <laughs> so these are three of my favorite ones that um, that David. Had had analyzed and sent to me, and I'm going to go ahead and play them back to back, and then uh, we can. Yeah, can you know, I'm just using them as an example. We don't have to get far into what they are, what they sound like, what it's supposed to be, yada yada. We're just going to show for an example for the our listening audience. So I'm going to go ahead and play the first one. Okay, so those are some examples of uh, some of the clips that David has sent back to me. Um, one of them, the last one was more of a percussive, and mm-hmm. we've talked mm-hmm. about this sound before, similar to what um, a gorilla chest beat might sound like. 
the first one, of course, was sound like a whoop, and then the second one is I have no idea <laughs> what that is. You got dinosaurs. You got dinosaurs. <laughs> <in the bump. laughs> yes, please. <laughs> but those were all recorded by myself here personally on my property with a, a Sony Olympus 702 recorder. And mm-hmm. what I do is I just upload the audio and then send it to David and Dropbox. He does his analysis on it, and you know he's able to see and hear. Um, that's where the spectrogram comes into play. Is you know it shows different spikes and different hertz range and so forth. So David, when you are doing the analysis of these, how does it look in comparison um, on the spectrograph? Like when you're hearing it and you're also seeing it on the spectrograph, do they stand out like a sore thumb um, or? Yeah, uh, what what you get when I send you files are all of the anomalies. If something stands out to me that just doesn't fit in with the ambient sounds and the known sounds, that's what I clip and send to you. Uh, you know what we're what we're doing here is we're cataloging suspicious sounds, and then we're going to start ruling some of those suspicious sounds out. But we're you know at at this stage of the process i don't know what it is so uh, you know i i go through the macaulay library of sounds on things that i suspect it could be and if i come up with nothing it still stays in the uh unknown pile but mm-hmm. um that's essentially what i do and if i get to a point where i think i really might have something then i i send it to mono and i say okay I, i've reviewed it to where i can take it what do you think of what what we got here Well, yeah, that's, and, that's great that um, you guys have each other to bounce stuff off of because that's so important, uh, you know, to have more than one set of eyes, if you will, on the the material. And I, I exactly. think you guys both do a phenomenal job uh, on what you're doing, and I, I cannot state enough how appreciative people are in the field for you guys. So keep up the good work. Thank you. And, hey, if Thank I could you. just make an, a quick observation there. Um, on that second vocal in that series you played, uh, mm-hmm. I don't think I've listened to those vocals before, but no. there's a, a couple of notes in there that sound very, they, they have a brassy tone uh, mm-hmm. as I listen I over my cell phone here. And so those yeah. would sort of fall in the camp of, of a horn vocal. So, Julie, Correct. you may have recorded your own horn vocals. Yeah, and yeah. David did and point that out, that he, um, it sounded kind of similar to that, mixed in with, with other sounds. I did have an actual um, clip that he sent me that was a very good example of that horn um, hmm. clip. What was it, about yeah. a month ago it, or so, David? You sent me back that yeah. one. But, yeah, it sounded very similar to Donna's as well, the one that she had yeah. recorded. Yeah, and they're very rare vocals. You don't get them a lot, so uh, it's it's great that you were able to capture one there. And you say that was in North Carolina, so right that to the well, across yeah. the you know from from where Donna was. I'm you know I could you couldn't get any further away and still live in the United States. Um, <laughs> and you know my backyard is basically the Uari Forest, which has the the highest activity in the state of North Carolina. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, this this has opened up my eyes to 
the things that I've been hearing. Um, and I think that if more people would take the time to, you know, when they're hearing something that sounds unusual, have it checked out. <laughs> because right. I would have known none of this had I not thought, you know, David's just going to tell me it's dogs, it's all good, not, nothing to worry about, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's a and, little and bit concerning. Let, let me play on a point that Gunnar made earlier, and that's that um, audio research is uh, one of the better forms of research because it's passive and not invasive, not so invasive into their territory. Most research done today is done with our eyes, and we're out there looking in the field for something, which requires us to be physically present, disturbing the environment, more than likely than not, chasing them out of their environment or causing them to hide from us. But in this kind of research, audio research, what David and I and others have been able to do is we've developed audio recorders that we can leave in the field for 30 days or more at a stretch, hanging deep in the forest from a tree, and they will, they're programmed to turn on every night as the sun goes down They'll record all night long until the sun rises in the morning, and they'll capture every sound within about a mile if that sound is loud enough to be heard by the mics. That sort of passive data collection has allowed us to find much more evidence of potential Sasquatch in an area than anything we can do visually. And so I would encourage others, if you're not recording audio now as part of your research efforts, you really need to get into it because you'll collect far more potential evidence through audio recording than you will through video or, or you know, just eyeball scouting. One of the yeah, points that absolutely. you make is that how much area you can actually cover with audio versus trying to catch something with video. You, you know, you have yes. this need moving needle in the haystack and people talking about, well, why don't we have pictures? Because there's such a, a low percentage of, of the potential habitat that are covered by game camps and et cetera. But you can cover a lot more area and you can do it from your home as Julie and Donna have both uh, illustrated um, that, and, and you don't have to go out into the woods and, and you can, um, they don't seem to be put off by audio recorders. Uh, no. So it, it's, a, it's a great way to research, to collect data. And I, I just have this, I have to point out, if, you're, if you listen to these guys talk, they don't say Bigfoot this, Bigfoot that. They're right. talking about an unknown uh, vocalizer or an unknown you know, sound initiator. It's not, there's, there's not that conclusion that, why can't we just run out to Facebook and tell people that we've recorded Bigfoot? Like, why? Right. What's the whole thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. There's, by, there's by so, many, so much of that out there. Yeah. 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 We can't. We we definitely can't say we're recording Bigfoot, but we can say that we are recording something that vocalizes, uses percussions and uses a systematic set of signals that occur all across North America, from Alaska down to Florida, from Maine all the way out 
into the Sierras in, in California and what have you. Mm-hmm. And, and that's an astounding thing to recognize when, you know, you hear whoops all across North America. Um, you hear long, flat howls with certain pitches and inflections all across North America. You hear integrated wood knocks used consistently the same way all across this continent. That right there just blows your mind when you, and, and tells you that there's something with the culture that has shared its culture and these communication signals from one member of that culture to another and spread it across an entire continent. That's mind-blowing to contemplate something like that. Well, and the, the process that you gentlemen have done over a long period of time has, has accumulated a, a series of data points and a, a, basically a file, of, if you will, of different sounds. So either what's being recorded is from their unknown sounds of known animals or their sounds of would that, would that be accurate? Yes. You, you cut out a little bit on my end, Gunnar, but I'll, I'll go with m- what Mono said. Mm-hmm. And maybe, yeah, maybe go with Mono out a little bit there, Gunnar. Yeah, maybe repeat your, repeat your hypothesis there, Gunnar. So we're either, there's, there's a group of people that are, have recorded sounds, consistent sounds from different parts of the country, and, and what those sounds don't fit known animals. So we're, we're either recording sounds of, of known animals that aren't in the, the database already or record, recording sounds of an unknown animal. Correct. Correct. And I would even add that these researchers capturing this stuff all across North America are capturing it across decades of time. The mm-hmm. earliest audio, my, my audio research began with two prime recordings that I base the logic tree of this information analysis upon. That's the Sierra Sound audio clips from the early 70s, and then the Ohio Moan Howls from 1994. Those are the two early earliest examples of potential audio and from there I use those as the root and build off of them and the research has proved that those signals in those two recordings occur again and again and again across decades and across thousands of miles. Wow. Yeah, I kind of figured that you would have um, the Sierra sounds in your sights at, at the beginning of all this. Yes, some incredible recording. So we have about 10 minutes um, to go here, and I want to make sure. Uh, first thing I want to ask you, do you, you had said, now do you, do you, you, did you say you create your own audio recorders, Mono? Did mm. I hear you correctly? Yeah, it, so here's what we do. Um, we build field recording systems using off-the-shelf recorders. And uh, okay. the, the, the recorders we currently use that we like are Olympus model recorders. 
Um, one of the more popular ones is the Olympus DM620. Uh, they're no longer manufactured, hard to find, but there are other Olympus models that you can use. And what we can do with those is we modify them to use an external power source, you know, a couple of large D-cell batteries, and that gives them enough power to record for 31 to 32 nights in a row. And so we'll package that into a nice weatherproof or weather-resistant uh, package, and we'll take them out there and hang them in the forest and come back a month later and pick them up. That's genius. And there are a large number of people that are doing this, including Charlie Raymond out in Kentucky. He's doing the same thing. Kudos. And the other thing I wanted to make sure our listeners know is you mentioned you have a YouTube channel, Mono. What, what, um, how do they find you on YouTube? Sure. Um, uh, if you go to YouTube, just search for Sasquatch Bioacoustic. I know it's a mouthful, okay. but uh, the, everyone knows what a Sasquatch is. Bioacoustic is the, the term you might have to look up before you try to Google it. Okay. Um, but the channel will come up. And um, I've recently had a lot of folks subscribing. Uh, I hadn't put many new videos out there, but Chris Noel's most recent book, he mentioned my channel, and I'm getting new peop new traffic coming in there. So I'm starting to try to crank out a new video once every couple of weeks, focusing okay, on the great. really good audio that I'm receiving. So hopefully folks will awesome. enjoy it. Well, we certainly will uh, promote your YouTube channel as well. Um, Thanks. You're welcome. And with David, um, what yeah. what is the most fascinating aspect of all of this for you on a personal level that you get out of this? Well, on a per on a personal level, I get some satisfaction that um, the areas that I'm studying are producing sounds of interest, and I feel like I'm actually uh, contributing something towards. A, uh, the ultimate goal of making audio recording a worthwhile documentable process um, for reasons that we've discussed, but the most is that your audio recorder um, will capture sounds like Mono said uh, within you know a, a mile, maybe even uh, larger. Now you can't cover a mile um, in in the same time frame that an audio recorder can when you're out in mm -hmm. the field just using your eyes. So mm -hmm. it is the, the I, I developed the need to record because I would go out into the field and um, originally was just coming back with stories. Well, that wasn't enough for me. I needed to have documentation and, and some sort of validity and that is what um, Mono has provided for me. He uh, became that person for me, showed me that this was a worthwhile endeavor and that from it will yield a great amount of knowledge that people uh, sh should be able to, to, to come to some sort of consensus over, over time. So I, I feel like what he is doing is really uh, way ahead of the curve and I'm Mm -hmm. helping to contribute in any small way that I can. Um, and there's other researchers around the country um, that are doing kind of what I'm doing. 
and what Mono is doing. And eventually, I think we'll have a data bank. So just to be part of that process is just very fulfilling. That is awesome. Do you think that there will be a, uh, like, for example, the BFR has <clears throat> the website for reports. Do you think there will ever be a, a website where you can go to to um, submit your sounds, your audios, and to listen to other examples from across the country? Well, there you go. Mono, what do you think? <laughs> that 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 would be an interesting undertaking. I think it would keep all of us busy for a while, David. It would. Get a lot of yeah. audio, I'm sure. <laughs> if, if anybody um, ever decides to go that route, just holler because I, I can upload stuff. I can assist, and okay. I would do it in a heartbeat. Well, I think it's very fascinating, it very important, and, and I can't yep. and state maybe enough. Be... Yes, how important this is. Gunner, did you have anything to to close out with? Yeah, I did want to say that although we don't have actual recordings, uh, of course we don't have recordings of Bigfoot doing any activities for the most part. Right. We don't have clear video of Bigfoot vocalizing. A lot of these these audio events of unknown um, origin are in association with other activity. They're they're uh, corroborating evidence. There's you know there's Bigfoot sightings. There's footprints. There's there's weird activity, and that goes along with the the story that that Donna was sharing with us over the last three weeks, and uh, and Dave has been intimately involved in that that project. So it isn't just you know they're they're not just hanging out there all there by themselves. There is an association with other activity that that isn't. Um, if there was no other evidence of of Bigfoot associated to associate with these sounds it it would be um interesting but but it there wouldn't be that connection it's it's mm, all right. this they they support each other and so well we can't you know I've heard a lot of weird stuff in our research area and other areas and mm-hmm. like but that I don't run and say you know as bigfoot part of the the building uh, a case, so to speak, for that supports uh, yes. an unknown entity in the woods. Until, which, when we have um, the day of discovery, as we like to say, is uh, we'll have this other supporting evidence. And and uh, so, what you guys are doing is is immensely. Uh, valuable and and I appreciate the amount of time and effort that mm-hmm. that uh folks like you you guys and folks like you uh put into this scientific process of of data collection and and ana- analysis so again mm-hmm. hats off yeah. to you guys well thank, you. well thank you well I thank you both for coming onto the show um taking your time to out of your busy lives, and I'd like to have you guys back um, maybe sometime down the down the road here and get a little bit more into maybe um, the spectrographs, you know, how those work. Sure. If you're both interested okay, you in maybe doing a couple more shows together, that would be great. That would be fun. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. You All right. Well, thank you, guys. And um, Okay. I want to go ahead and let you know that if you did not catch – 
the Donna show, the three Donna shows, you really, really need to go do that. Uh, you guys can see it on a Monster X Radio blog talk. Go in there and look for Monster X Radio with Donna, part one, two, three. I'm telling you, it is worth a listen. Uh, there's some very mind-blowing clips in there. So, like I said earlier, kind of creepy. Um, and all I can tell you is the, <laughs> the clip with the baby doll, you've got to hear it. And that's all I'm going to say. That's a teaser for you. So, Donna, that, um, would you like to yeah. go ahead and close out uh, with a show for us? I, I would. I, I will say that I, I didn't uh, get to host those shows, and I got to listen to them as a fan, and I was blown away. And the, there's you, you got to listen to them if you're interest, interested in Bigfoot at all. And it, it's funny is the parallels between the Donna uh, situation and Julie's situation, which is ongoing now. So, uh, yeah. Get in there and listen. It and is. I do want to warn warn you that that we are moving our archived shows. Um, we're going to be leaving them open for a month, and then we're going to be making them exclusive content here very shortly. And we're going to actually start with the newer shows first. So Donna's first show will probably be public for about another two or three weeks. So get in there and listen to it, at, or uh, or join exclusive. You can go to our website www.monsterxradio.com. There's buttons there that tell you to join exclusive. It's, um, and I'll let you find it. Uh, I really appreciate uh, Mono and David joining us. David has become a, a regular member of the family here on Monster <laughs> X. And uh, Julie, again, fantastic job. I love the, the Donna interviews. Um, join us again next Thank week. You. This is uh, Gunner for Monster X Radio. And uh, in, until we see you, uh, be safe out there. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you. Good night. Radio.